Mother Teresa said, spread love everywhere you go. Let no one ever come to you without leaving happier. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, life is a succession of lessons which must be lived to be understood. Maya Angelou said, you will face many defeats in life, but never let yourself be defeated. Welcome to Make Shit Happen. This is episode number 20 with Chow Win. Chow is a Chief Public Strategies Officer at Houston Area Women's Center. Chow, welcome to Make Shit Happen show. I cannot believe I'm here. I'm so excited. Sammy. Thank you. Thank you so much for making the drive and I appreciate you coming and thank you for being on our show. This so, podcast studio, I have to say, is like I have podcast studio envy right now. <laughs> so, you know, if people who are listening on on uh, listening to the podcast and they really want to see this they can go to the youtube page my youtube page which is at life of super sammy z and they can they can see the whole interview it's a masterpiece a masterpiece you like it i love it i love it because i mean i'm a little inspirational kind of optimist so chow talk to you a little bit briefly about before the show you know we have something in common we are both immigrants okay yeah. you came as a refugee when you were two years old yep. to houston with your parents yep how was, I mean, so how many were in your family? It's you, your mom, your dad? Yeah, my mom and dad uh, and four siblings total. I'm the youngest of four, two boys, two girls. Uh, we came when I was two, so obviously I don't remember. I have lots of pictures. We were the first wave of Vietnamese refugees to come to the United States, you know, sort of that long migration, and the first wave of Vietnamese to come to Houston. Wow. Uh, I still remember my father uh in a front page article in the Houston Post, and it said, I'll never forget it, it said, Vietnamese family gets a wet welcome. A wet welcome? Walk it? Because it flooded, right? Oh. So they were off of, they lived off of Broadway. Once they came here, they they found a place off of Broadway, which yeah. actually, there are still Vietnamese immigrants. There's a lot there. of Vietnamese over there. Let me tell you about yeah. this. So I, I have to t share this story. Uh, I was working with at AT&T, long distance, right after uh, high school, okay, mm -hmm. while I was in college, while I was going to U of H. And so I used to do door-to-door -door sales. So oh I was in Hispanic market. Yeah. Okay. And I mean, you know, I'm thinking Broadway. You know, I grew up in Southwest in A-Leaf and no idea. I mean, you know, there's just a lot of Hispanics and, uh, you know, on the South Side. So we go to this apartment complex. It's on Broadway, right? It's this gray apartment complex right before you get to Hobby Airport. I know exactly get what over you're talking there, about. Knock at the door and it's Vietnamese people. But anyways, I worked that whole apartment complex for two full days and I was like, oh, my God, I never imagined there would be so many Vietnamese people on the south side. Yeah. Because growing up, you know, I mean, we have grew up in A-Leaf. There's a lot of Vietnamese in the southwest. I mean, heck, the China, China you know, yeah, the Chinatown is here. Right. But I had no idea. And it was it was like a it was a cultural shock for me <laughs> looking at that. I mean, you know, I went to this one place and this guy was cutting hair. In his apartment complex, I even got my hair cut while I was at work. But uh, but yes, yeah, so you lived in those apartment complex, I'm assuming. Um, just briefly, yeah. Uh -huh. I mean, we we and and all of our furniture got wet, so everything got pushed outside. And so my father's proudly standing over all of this wet furniture. And the article, and we still have it, talks about you know our migration to the United States, mm -hmm. and from there, little Chow was a product of. Houston upbringing, just like Sam. Yeah. So I know I know you probably don't remember because you were two years old. Yeah. But did your parents ever talk about the migration? Yeah. You know, I will tell you, looking back, I did not realize until I'm now a mother and an adult and how much trauma, I mean, how, how desperate it was to come to a new country without money, without leaving everything behind. I mean, what courage it took to, to, to haul your own family, kids. My mother was 20. Let me think about this. She was 23 years old with four kids. Wow. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. So, you know, I always think about it. I always give, you know, tip my hat to my mom. Yeah. Who was 32 when she came over here. From? I, from Pakistan. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm thinking, and I'm like, she left her, all her family, not knowing the language, you know. Yeah. You know, just, you know, trust her husband with four kids Same. and just say, you know what, I'm going to move over here. Not knowing, not knowing what's going on. And I mean, so I know your parents probably, your mom left all her family over there. Same. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Same. And, and I mean, you know, just not knowing the country and, but, but, you know, we got to give for our parents because they did a lot of it for the betterment of their kids. 
Yeah, for a better life. And look at us. I mean, we're sitting here in a beautiful podcast studio with you, a successful furniture owner, me, a social worker. I mean, we are living the American dream. I cannot tell you how much gratitude I have well, you know, my and, parents. And gratitude is a must, right? Oh, That's, you, live, you said the magic words, right? I, there. I mean, you know, your day is as good as your gratitude. Oh, definitely. So, Chow, you, you say you're, you're a social worker, and we'll mm -hmm. get to that right now. But... So, you know, let's get, I want to get back to the family thing, you know, you, you know, y'all migrated over here and then like how a lot of, uh, you know, Asian, uh, and when I say Asian, I mean, I mean, everybody, yeah. Asian, South Asian, Indian, you know, everybody, uh, when, when they, when, when our parents bring us over here, they want us to be doctors or engineers or something like that. Or we're a failure. <laughs> yeah, or we failure. <laughs> so, so did your parents wanted you to be an engineer or doctor? Uh, lawyer, or lawyer doctor, yeah. yeah, any of those. But, you know, the one blessing I had is my parents. I was always a very curious child. I was always creative. I love to learn. I love to get out. And, I, you know, then my, that that path took me to being a journalist. Um, they always encouraged me because they knew that I would do okay. And I remember the first TV, so I used to be a TV reporter. The first on-air job I, I received at a very young age um was in Guam. And so I had to move from Houston to Guam. And even at age 21, graduated from high school, I was still scared of my parents because that's the Asian way. I'm like, yeah. what if mom and dad don't let me go to Guam? Then I can't go. Yeah. I'm already living in my own apartment out of college thinking if they don't let me go, I can't go. That's my mentality, right? Because that's how yeah. we are in, in, in Asian families. I mean, we're tight knit, strict. Girls don't, you know, leave. Especially the home. in immigrant families. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But the one thing they did is they said, you know what, child, you can do anything in this world. You just go ahead and go. And 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 that really launched me to um, knowing that finally I can be accepted for from them no matter what. Awesome. That, yeah. You know, so so you became a journalist. Then. I did. So what school you, you went to college in Houston? Well, or? just like any strict Asian family, I stayed in Houston. <laughs> I went to St. Thomas. Okay. In fact, my first year, I actually lived home. Wow. And I would commute and my parents would say, Friday night, you got to be home by 11. I had an 11 o'clock curfew. Really? I'm still that strict parent. <laughs> <laughs> I can see it. Yeah, I can, I can see how it, it, you know, it, it, it's generational, right? Yeah, I, I'm still, I'm yeah. still that parent. If my kids are listening to it, they'll be like, really, dad? You know what? You still do that after so many years. But, but yeah, yeah, I still do that. I, mean, I totally get it. So uh, I went to St. Thomas and I got bit by the TV news bug. I had a, uh, an instructor who was teaching us like a radio production class, John. Oh, goodness. I can't remember his name. So then I got introduced to working at Fox 26. Back then it was like this little dump where the Central Market HEB is. Uh-huh. So I was an intern and I would pour coffee and then I, I walked into a newsroom. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is it. Forget about, you know, being a newspaper reporter. This is what I want to do. There's, you know, there's a there's an energy and a buzz in a newsroom. Mm -hmm. So I that's where my career began. I worked on the desk, which is kind of a job where you listen to scanners and send out reporters and photographers and, um, you know, call for beats like, hey, what's going on at the morgue? You know. Yeah. Uh, so I did that for a few years and then I got my first job, uh, right after college uh, in, Guam. in Guam. I worked in Guam, which is halfway across the world. I didn't really realize that until I looked at the map. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going far. That was a wonderful experience. I was lucky enough to come back to Houston to work as a reporter at the Fox station, went away to Atlanta for a few years, worked at a CBS station there, came back to Houston several years ago. And that's where I basically retired from KHOU as a weekend anchor, weekend morning anchor and reporter. KHOU for people who are out out of the oh, city is CBS. The CBS, affiliate. yeah, the local CBS TV news station. All right. So, and how long was your TV career? About fifteen in, in years. Yeah, in total, fifteen years, and that was plenty. That was plenty. <laughs> now, now, you know, you said the news desk. You work on the news desk. Did, did you first of all? Did you always wanted to be a, a in uh, on TV, or you wanted to be a uh, you know a journalist like write for the paper and everything? I thought okay, so you know, I, I think sometimes your path is kind of set for you, right? So as a child, I loved to read. So that was my escape from just being an immigrant child growing up in the white suburbs. So I read a lot of books, just read, read, read. Then I realized I was just always curious about people. Like I want to know about Sam and your upbringing, uh -huh. and I want to know about Angel, and I want to know about all these people. And then I love to write, right? So then I became a writer uh -huh. very early on. Then I became a newspaper editor in, in my high school. And I loved it. And so really my resolution when I graduated from high school is I'm going to become a newspaper reporter. Now, the 
one nugget is I would watch Connie Chung and she was the only Asian American woman on TV. Mm-hmm. And that was really inspiring. So I thought, wow, she could do it. I wonder if I could do it. But I didn't really think about TV until I walked into that Fox 26 newsroom back in 1992. Uh-huh. And yeah. how big was the newsroom? Back? It was a dump. It was, <laughs> it was a like, dump. It, it was a UHF station, if you remember what UHF meant, right? Yeah. It, Fox. UHF 20- and VHF. Right? Yeah, and it wasn't even Fox 26 like it is now. It was like, you know, Channel 26, UHF, and they had this small newsroom. It wasn't even... It was just being purchased by the Fox network, so it didn't have any of the bells and whistles you see now. Um, it was kind of a falling apart newsroom. And then, of course, over the years it grew, but that that was my introduction. I loved going out with other reporters. There are anchors and reporters here that I consider my mentors, the people who launched me, Gina Gaston, Tom Cook. I would follow them when I worked at 13. We'd put my resume tapes together. I mean, plenty of people that are still in the news business locally that I, I look up to and, and are still doing it um, that really influenced my career back then. So I so, felt very lucky. So now, now, did you do, like, you know, a lot of time when, when reporters, they, they start or, you know, before they become the anchor, mm-hmm. they, they're always out there, you know, yeah. chasing ambulance, ambulance yes. chasers and, That's you know, me. the cop chaser. I that mean, you did, you did that, huh? Oh, you have no idea. I When I moved back to Houston from Guam, uh-huh. which back then it was really hard, but now it's a little bit easier. You don't move from an obscure little island back to the big city of Houston to be a reporter. But I was lucky enough to do it because I had a news director, a former boss, who said, you know what, Chow, you can do this. So she put me on the overnight shift. I worked from 10.30 till 6.30 or 7 in the morning chasing um, police chases, fires, homicides. I cannot tell. At Fox 26, <laughs> I was like the angel of death in the morning, like knock on people's doors. I was like, so sorry, your, your person. It was you know, it was a really uh, interesting two years of of being like a night owl and being. You, yeah, you were a crime chaser. Huh? I was a crime an ambulance chaser. I knew cops. We would stop at the stop and go on Kirby Drive. I mean, that that was my world. I was a beat reporter, so yes, I was a total beat reporter. And then hurricanes would come, and I'm four foot nothing, right? Like five foot nothing. I'd like blow up. Like, Chow, are you okay? Don't blow away. What, what, what was the most memorable experience ever being on? Okay, being on so so uh, people have asked me plenty of times. We, there was a child who wandered off into the woods up north somewhere in Montgomery mm-hmm. County, Conroe, Willis, and she lived in a trailer park. And she'd wandered off with her dog in the woods and all night they're searching for her, you know, like oh. rescue units are out and she's like five or six. So now we're all thinking she's gone, right? So I'm live at maybe seven in the morning and all these people are running by me like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, we found her, we found her. And literally... She comes out of the woods and she's all scratched out with her dog. The dog stayed with her all night. She just got lost. Oh, that to me was so memorable because it was, it was news that was happening um, uh, in real time. And it was so emotional. There's a couple other moments, but it was so emotional and it was so palpable. Uh-huh. The other one I would say is the Texas A&M bonfire collapse. I was oh, yeah, I the first that. reporter who showed up. And I think they just celebrated 20 years or honored 20 years. I was the first reporter who showed up to the scene. It was about two two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. So, you know, I was working overnight. So Todd Smith and I, my photographer, who's still a photographer at Fox 26, we showed up. It's like an hour drive, you know, hour yeah. and a half drive. And, and and you could just feel the devastation and, and just, you could feel it. The, the energy was, was real, right? It was palpable. And um, yeah, I was there for a few days. Those are some... Not so good and good moments. That's news, though. Those are people's real lives. Those I never I, that never leaves me. By the way, yeah, just knowing that you know you could wake up and life could be fine, and in an instant, it, it, it could, yeah. And and uh, so I mean, what about uh, since you lived in? I mean, you've been in Houston. Yeah. What about hurricane? Any hurricane yeah. memory? Ike, um, Katrina was obviously very devastating, and then there's a host of smaller hurricanes. Sadly, I you remember, remember you remember them. you remember Rita, right? When everybody Rita, left Houston. Yes. <laughs> Rita, Katrina, Katrina. So I you were working well. with Rita. I think I was out of news by Rita. Rita was at 2008. Well, Katrina, it was Katrina and Rita together. Okay, Katrina. In 2005, yeah. I think. Okay, so then I did I was working Katrina Rita. Yeah. I stayed at Transstar for And a few then days. Ike was 2007. That's what I'm thinking. Ike I wasn't here for. I was actually out of news and they would call me back. I totally left news. Yeah. And my you know, Bill Bishop over at KHO, you would call. He's like, you want to work again? I'm like, no, I don't. I don't so why, why did you leave news? That's a good question. You know, I knew that there was something more for me. Uh-huh. Um, I always had a wanderlust spirit. This sounds really like 
don't try this at home kids kind of moment. Uh But I really thought uh, uh, it's just time for me to hang up the hat. And I was, you know, things were going really well in my career. I had an opportunity to move to New York. Things were going well at KHOU. I went into my bosses. I had thought about this for a while. And I said, you know what? I am going to quit. I'm going to travel the world for about six months. I don't know what my path is going to take me. Just so foolhardy, right? Looking back. But I trust that I have enough skill sets to, to figure out something. And so that's what I did. But I mean, I mean, that's pretty brave. Yeah. I mean, of something yeah. you've been doing this at, at this point for years. 15 years, yeah. you know, from talking about from a 21 year old girl yeah. to 36, 37 yeah. year old. I mean, you've basically spent your adult life doing this. I mean, yeah. what kind of gets it? I mean, I mean, it's brave. I mean, I know, I know. Or foolhardy, right? Like, kids yeah. don't but, try because at that home. time, the anchors were making pretty decent money, yeah. too. I, know, I had a great life. I yeah. also had, you know, some money in the bank. I had a house. I had, oh, like, my life was really going to dog. <laughs> was, you know what I knew is I was a single girl. I was working in TV and I thought, if I don't travel now, uh-huh. I like, love to travel, right? I will never do it. So I took off to Vietnam. I went to Southeast Asia. I went back to the islands for a while. And then I came back and decided I'm going to go get my master's in social work. It was the right. I just knew that I wanted to do something where I could connect with people, but Mm -hmm. I wasn't sure what that was. And I knew that I wanted to have a life of service, but I wasn't sure what that was either. So it took a lot, a little exploring, obviously getting an education and dabbling in some psychotherapy, counseling with kids and adults and teenagers. And then I kind of fell into this nonprofit management world that I'm in now. And well, and what made you fall in there? I mean, well, with, with, with some of it's luck, right? Yeah. Yeah. With, with you having masters, mm-hmm. you know, impressive resume, being around, you yeah. know, a, a TV anchor for one of the, I think at that time, Channel yeah. 11 was number one or number two station. Um, and then you just go to a nonprofit. <laughs> Well, what happened was, okay, in, in full disclosure, when I went back to work work, I'd already had two young babies, right? uh-huh. so I had babies, and I used to volunteer at a place called the Women's Home, which uh-huh. is um, a treatment for addiction and recovery in homeless women. Okay. So I knew the woman who uh, was the head there of development. I went to Marsha and I said, hey, can I volunteer here? Because I need something to do. Mm-hmm. I can help the women counsel. And she said, you know, child, why don't you take this position? It's full time. It's perfect for you. It writes your name. And, and the job description was, you know, volunteer outreach, public speaking, talking about the mission and the services. Like, oh, I'm a shoe in. So that's kind of how I fell into nonprofit. I did that at the Women's Home for a few years. And then we like to joke in nonprofit, you get poached, right, from another nonprofit. And so that's what happened to me uh, at the Houston Area Women's Center four years ago. And we support women and children and men and boys uh, who are dealing with domestic violence, sexual violence, and sex trafficking. So that's what we do. We're um, one of the largest support services. Sex trafficking is really big, in, in especially in Houston. You know, they say, I think United, I was listening to Tony Robbins podcast the other day and Tony Robbins is, you know, he supports uh, this underground railway. I, I can't remember the name right now, yeah. but, but uh, you know, where they, where they free these kids. Um, and you know what, what, what mine, it's mind boggling that the U- United States is one of the top, well, I think it's number one or number two for women and kids being trafficked. Yeah, it's one of the major hubs. And, and even more startling is Houston is one of the biggest hubs in the country right. for sex trafficking. And that's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it's going on behind our, our noses and we yeah. don't know. And, you know, the new, the, there are some issues around um, our children, you know, going to good schools, having, in good communities, also being groomed, yeah. quote unquote, um, and trafficked, you know, by these, these, these predators, men. yeah, yeah predators. Right? right. So that is, that is something that, that our agency is, uh, I mean, it's know, mind boggling. I mean, you know, scary. it, yeah, yeah, it's scary. And I mean, you know, uh, especially in Houston, living in Houston and knowing, uh, you know, how big of a deal it is. So, so tell me, so it, at the women, Houston women area, Houston area women's center, right? You can just call it Hawk. Yeah. Okay. Hawk, Hawk. at, at Hawk, at Hawk, uh, how do y'all deal with this, uh, sex yeah. trafficking and everything? So we have different programs, you know, um, survivors of domestic and sexual violence and sex trafficking all face uh, unique and similar and uh, intersectional issues, right? Uh-huh. So somebody, a woman who who uh, comes to us as a client as a domestic violence survivor might have sex trafficking in our past. Uh-huh. We also specifically have counselors and advocates who work with uh, sex trafficking survivors. Last year, we saw 277, I believe, sex trafficking survivors through the Harris County Courts Diversion Program. So we have a partnership with the DA's office 
to ensure that when a sex trafficking survivor goes to the court, there's an opportunity for her to have a touch point with us so that we can explain the resources. Getting out of the life, they say, is a very, it is is a very complicated um, avenue to navigate out of because young women might think it's their boyfriends, it's the only life they have, they've been brainwashed, but, but what we tell survivors is you have a place here, you are heard, you are believed, and we'll offer you support. That comes in the form of housing, uh, vocational training and education, um, case management, uh, just any support that a survivor needs, we're there for them. So uh, is it, does, does it have, when, when girls fall in this, this trap? The life, yeah. Okay. And it's not, and, and you know what, what I've learned, because I mean, you know, I, I listened to it the other day and I just started, you know, going through it, I, not knowing that, you know, that me and you were going to oh, have okay. this podcast over here, but uh uh, because it was like something that that kind of caught my attention, and uh, so s- a couple of weeks ago I started doing research and everything, and I'm just looking, seeing the cases and everything, and I see is it it's not only women, it's not only girls who have been you know kidnapped or sold or anything like that as children, but it's also uh, girls from regular families. Yeah, that's that, what I was saying. Yeah. Being groomed via Snapchat, yeah, via, you know that, that that these men are are actually because because on the streets, a white woman is more expensive to sell than a black woman. Did you know that? No, right? I didn't. Isn't know that, that crazy? Um, yeah, they're getting groomed. They're getting um, uh, targeted mm-hmm. via their social media, which is why a lot of parents are very need to be very concerned and aware of what's going on in their children's social media accounts. And so, so do you see? young girls get basically they leave their home or they stay at home while they're work or they're getting you know these predators are making them work i mean what do you see well they you know they leave yeah there's a lot of cases where and it's a complicated issue because then you call the police and they well she's a runaway well maybe she identifies as a runaway but she's really being lured away into a life of sex trafficking that she doesn't know is happening and that has happened to many children, you know, there's as many as 79,000 youth in the state of Texas who are sex trafficking victims right now. And there are a lot of organizations and agencies, not only here in Houston, but around the United States are working to uh, help and to rescue, so to speak, these girls and, and get them the proper treatment they deserve. So I, I can't remember the name right now, but but Tony Robbins had him. Uh, he had uh, this guest on his podcast, who's the CEO of this underground railway. I can't remember yeah. the name of the group right now. And I was trying to look on my phone while you were talking. But you know what he said is like uh, sex trafficking is now the number one growing criminal organization in the world because a bag of cocaine can only be sold one time, but a ba- a girl can be sold five, six, seven, eight times a day. That's absolutely true. And the body is very valuable. Yeah. But the body should not be for sale. Yes, definitely. And uh, so now let me ask you, do you see also kids, you know, being kidnapped and sold? I mean, young kids and young women, young girls, three, four, five, six, seven years old. I don't know if we see it that young, but it, it absolutely happens. I was in an event over the weekend and a survivor spoke and she was sold from the age of 10. Age of 10. Uh, another another fact that I learned. Domestic. Domestic. Not, yeah, we're not talking about India, China, Vietnam. We're talking, in the United States. Yeah, talking okay. Atlanta, Houston. Wow. Yeah, Detroit. Um, I also, I also, when I did this, when I when I heard that podcast, I started doing research and, and I heard, and the number of child pornography over the internet has increased in five years over 500 five thousand seven hundred percent that makes sense i mean it's an appalling it doesn't make sense right yeah, it doesn't make sense but it's appalling i mean you know how many predators are out there and i mean you know uh, matter of fact uh i, I know i know a couple of, i know like a, about four or five six months ago i heard and maybe you can correct me you know where girls were getting kidnapped or people were taking them or something like that i don't know if was it a couple of months ago did you hear uh, i think it was in the news and a lot, a lot of stuff like that where they were getting grabbed or something like that. It's not as random. Usually these predators are grooming young girls. Via yeah. Snapchat, yeah. Instagram, and Social all that. Social media, they're friends, they go to a party, and then that's where the trouble begins. Yeah. That's what that's what you hear by and large. 
there is help available. There are many organizations that want to end sex trafficking and want to um, put it put these perpetrators right. Yeah, hold them accountable in the courts. Yeah, so hold, I mean they they take them to parties. They you know they yeah, show them a little them. drug them, show them a good life, or you know they in nice cars and and yeah. and and lure them to 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 these parties and stuff. It's I mean it's and and to a family. It can be devastating not knowing where they're where the imagine? kid disappeared to. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I can't imagine. Yeah, I can't. So imagine. it is. It, it, it's coming to a neighborhood near you, so to speak, and we just need to be more vigilant. Understand, see something, say something. I was at an event this weekend with Jeannie Mai, the talk show host out of L.A., and she's you know working on a sex trafficking film called Stop Trafficking, and talking about how she got into this movement, like being an advocate. And she was at the L.A. airport, and there were two Guatemalan children with parents that didn't look like theirs and turns out the little boy had swallowed a bunch of cocaine bags and he was very sick right and the parents were they were smuggling children into the la airport during the super bowl oh wow i mean so they were they were using these kids as mules yes wow and they kidnapped them i mean they abducted them right so this kind of stuff is happening under our noses and it's really one awareness two holding those perpetrators accountable yeah. And three, just knowing as parents, as a community, that that's not just their problem; it becomes our problem. Yeah, and 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 knowing that it happens in other countries, and it's in, as yeah. in India and, and Afghanistan yeah, yeah. and Iraq, uh, you know, ISIS was kidnapping all these kids from, uh, you know, these uh, uh, tr- Iraqi tribes, and and uh, you know, in Pakistan and and, and other smaller countries, and um, in uh, you know, because and especially from northern parts mm-hmm. and stuff like that, knowing that that it happens over there, you know, we can say, okay, you know what, because those are third world countries and stuff, but knowing that it happens right here at home, mm-hmm. I mean, it's appalling. I mean, it's disturbing. Yeah. I, I just had lunch with the Baylor College of Medicine folks, and they're doing some human trafficking work, and they said, look, Chow, there are plenty of clients to go around for all of us to serve. The, 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 the biggest barrier right now is where do we house them, right? So as an agency, we're looking at shelter expansion. We have a 120-bed shelter for survivors of domestic sexual violence, sex trafficking. So we are working over the next few years to expand our services because there are so many. And their trauma is very compounded. Now, Charles, let me ask you a question. Uh, sorry to cut you off right no. there. but So we us being so close to Latin America, mm-hmm. do we get a lot of people from yeah. these sex victims yeah their traffic labor trafficking is an issue okay human trafficking right we're talking about the umbrella of human trafficking that that involves sex trafficking child labor trafficking labor trafficking so tell me about what is what do you mean by labor trafficking uh, uh you know bringing somebody into the estates and making them work as slaves whether it be in in, in a service a, you know, a sexual a sexual oriented business service industry or working in a restaurant we're working, you know, so that is very. Does that does that still happen today? Still happens. You're talking about we, modern, modern, modern day, day slavery? slavery. Yeah, really. It is very, yeah, it's very. That does not have nothing to do with sex. sex yeah. Wow. Yeah. So we live. I mean, and and you come across cases like day laborers. Like I mean, that that's trafficking. You know, the, uh-huh. making them work for pennies and and torturing them. What we come across at at Hawk are we have clients who are survivors of trafficking, and they have been trafficked for sex, for working in cantinas. For, for restaurants. I mean, it is serious because of that migration and the, de- the desperation to provide a life for themselves and their family. And a lot of a lot of them want to come mm-hmm. over here because, you know, they want to have a better life. I mean, you yeah. know, you, you, you came from an immigrant family. I yeah. mean, you know, you're a refugee. Yeah. And I mean, you know, lucky for us, we didn't fall in any kind of traps like those. Yeah, very lucky. But, uh, but I mean, you know, people do fall in those traps. And I mean, you know, uh, we, I mean, you know, I've seen, and I'm sure you have, you know, uh, as well, uh, you know, friends who fell in, into crime and, mm-hmm. you know, because they wanted fast money. Right. You know, to say, or uh, I've never seen anybody who was obligated to do anything, and I'm lucky that I didn't, and uh, I'm blessed to not seeing that. I mean, matter of fact, uh, but, you know, hey, I'm, I live in Southwest Houston. My office is in Southwest Houston, so I see, I, I do see people walking down Bissonette and 59. Up well, and down, and I and every time I see that, that I mean, it's disturbing. Well, that's that's kind of the sex trafficking hub for years and years. I think the reason, Sammy, that that sex trafficking, particularly in our community, is getting the attention it's getting, is because it is seeping into our nicer communities. Yeah. Through social media, back in the day when I wrote my first op-ed, you know, in the Chronicle, the Houston 
newspaper about child sex trafficking. It was really kids who were aging out of foster care, didn't have families, from poor inner city neighborhoods. Nobody really cared about those kids, right? They care about their own kids. Yeah. It's in your backyard. You're it's certainly going to care. So I'm glad it's getting the attention because it needs to have that. And and the the after effects is hopefully we can we can heal and and work to um, address just the bigger issue of sex. Trafficking. So now let me ask you a question. And uh, you know we all go to nice restaurants or we ever you know on uh, by the gallery and we you know uh, we've been to restaurants and we see we see things. I mean, I have certainly, and I'm sure you might have here and there. At, you know, talking about nice steakhouses, nice bars, yeah. and we see these girls huddled around, you know, the bar, and we all know what they're there for. We know they're working, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, I'm, I've never even seen stuff like that in Vegas, you know. But but there's more in Houston than than ever, and we know that they're they're working girls. Yeah. Do you think those are? also sex slavery victims or it's hard for us they're freelancers say. it's hard for us to say is not does it? any one of those ever come to hawk or not? yeah well yeah sex trafficking survivors is what we used to call prostitutes well, right yes and 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 it is it, at the end of the day it's your choice what yeah. you do with your life right or your body as in your body but as an organization what we we encourage people is you have an option if you want to choose this option to heal mm -hmm. from your trauma it's never our choice to decide what somebody else should do to live a self-determined life but if you want that option to get out of the life to heal from your trauma to escape violence then you know organizations where i work are here for you so organizations like and people need to know about organizations like those right and so how do someone help you know, in that cause. I mean, how does that work? So we call it something called the three R's, right? Right. Recognize, maybe somebody needs help. Respond appropriately. Mm -hmm. Listen without judgment. Tell them that, you know, you understand. And then refer. Because I'm, I may not be the expert, mm -hmm. you know, but I know a place where you can call to talk to somebody. So at our agency, we carry two 24 hotlines, field about 40,000 calls in the city of Houston every year for domestic violence, sexual assault, it's free, confidential, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So I always say if you want, and, and it's funny because you know I've been working in this, this business for a while, I get calls and emails and messages every week from somebody who knows somebody who needs help. And I always say, I'm so sorry you're going through this, we are here to help, please have him or her call our hotline. So, so aside us, from sexual, you know, being a sexual victim, also there's a lot of women who you know, get physical abuse yeah. and they think it's okay, you know, and there, there's also, there's a stigma of shame. Yep. There's a stigma of maybe I provoked him. Yeah. Maybe, Victim maybe, blaming. yeah, he, he, you know, he really loves me and he cares about me and he did that. And, and honestly to me, I think hitting a woman is never okay. Right. It's, it's never okay. But, but, but the dynamics of getting into physical violence, there are other dynamics, right? right. Emotional violence. Um, uh, taking away, you know, it's power and control, control, right? Taking away your phone, it's intimidation, it's using the kids as weapons. So the heart of all the things we're talking about, abuse, mm -hmm. domestic abuse, is power and control. Mm -hmm. So no, it's never okay to hit a woman. So what we try to navigate with our survivors is, it's not our decision for them to say, for them to leave their abusers. It's our place to say, let us help you look at lethality. Are you in danger to get really hurt? One, we have an assessment tool that helps with that. And then two, here are your options if you decide to leave. No. So a woman needs to feel empowered to say, I have made this decision based on these informed things, right? But the barriers to leaving for, for a lot of women we see, two barriers, money, kids. How, how am I gonna feed my kids? Where am I gonna work? And so I will tell you, abusers, will use that against their partners, right? Yeah. How are you going to work? Where are you going to go? Where are the kids going to go? Nobody wants you. Yeah. So financial empowerment for us is very important to help survivors navigate how they can make it on our own. We have match programs, have all kinds of great programs. And, and I've seen some incredibly transformative stories from women and how they've been able to overcome that life of abuse and violence to a life of independence, self-determination that's violence-free. How many women do y'all help per month or per year? So we touch about 73,000 a year. That includes our hotlines, 
our shelter, our counseling services. We have a hospital accompaniment program where our advocates go to the hospital for rape survivors to sort of allow them to get emotional support and resources. Um, we have a financial empowerment program, housing program. So um, a myriad of services to ensure that survivors can um, walk that path towards a life of independence. So Chow, we talked about, you know, people who are victim of, you know, being sold as a sex slave, uh, talked about abuse, talk about rape, because there's a lot of time, sexual violence, that girls really don't report that. Yeah, so it's underreported. You know, what you and I are sitting here, and, you know, Weinstein was just convicted yesterday. It was very big for this Me Too movement era, right? Because somebody was being held accountable. The reason why women don't report in sort of the the history of of sexual violence is they're not going to be believed. Mm -hmm. The consequences are few and far between. There might be, you know, and so what we see statistically is the prison sentences are low. Um, Maybe they get off. Because it's a he said, she said, you know, in our movement, we believe survivors. We believe that if you're raped, you're not making this up. We're going to support you. It's your decision to go to the police because we recognize that there's a myriad of issues that go on once you hit the criminal justice system. Mm -hmm. You have to relive the, the, the account, right? People may not believe you. And then you're in this public display. I mean, we saw it with the Chanel Miller case out of Stanford, right? Mm -hmm. The swimmer and where that got. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a lot of, it's funny. I was just talking to somebody. So many girls are raped on college campuses who don't report so many. Yeah. I was, I was listening to, uh, I don't remember. I I think it was like a podcast or something. I listened to a lot of podcasts. Me too. I'm a junkie too. (laughs) And I have that in common. So, so, you know, uh, and, 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 you know, they were talking about, uh, matter of fact, this girl brought in this legislation and to, to change this rule. And, uh, because rape victims are not never heard. I mean, they they don't get the favorable uh, treatment that the that the uh, that the aggressor or the the, the one who victimized these get, and uh, it's just like you know hard to hard to prove. Right. And uh, and you know living the moment is probably the hardest thing for the rape victims, and a lot of them let go of it. A lot of them, like when they when they do approach somebody, uh, they're just not heard. They're not yeah. heard, they're not believed, right? Yeah. Sexual abuse happens um, from childhood on. Uh, we see a lot of sexual abuse survivors who survive childhood sexual abuse. Right. And are just now working through their trauma 20 years later, 30 years later. Um, but healing can happen. I mean, I, you know, we've seen those stories and, and thank goodness for that. So do you all have people who come up several years later? Mm-hmm. And I mean, I mean, do you all... Uh, uh, do y'all uh, have like some kind of counseling for them? Tell so us we, a little bit about that. Yeah, so we um, offer in our non-residential, we have a shelter, 120 beds, 70 women, 50 kids every year at our shelter, right? That's really kind of our crisis response um, program. We also have non-residential um, opportunities for survivors to heal through counseling programs. We have mm-hmm. support groups. We offer about 40 support groups a week, uh, individual counseling as well, um, and uh, just a myriad of, of, of groups depending on, we have survivors who are men, who are boys, and so those groups will form as the need arises. That's that's the main thing, you know, boys, you know, who get, you know, who are uh, victims, and I mean, they, you know, we live, we still live in the society that shame is, uh, you know, we, we are shamed of it, okay, yeah. so what do you see about that, and what do you, what do you think, I mean, is, I mean, you know, living in this society yeah. where, where boys have, are more ashamed that they got sexually abused or something like that, and even though your your the name of your organization is Houston Women Area Center, yeah. or Houston Area yeah, Women's Center, uh, how I mean, do y'all educate boys yeah. that they can come up? I mean, how do you do that? So so the Houston Area Women's Center was started in 1977 at sort of the the spark of the women's movement, which uh-huh. is how the name was born. Um, we go by Hawk because we want to make sure that we're inclusive. Yeah, that we do support survivors. You know, no matter your race, your gender. Um, and we welcome them. And, uh, you know, I, I personally think somebody said something recently that I heard. It's like, we, you know, when somebody commits a crime, Sam, somebody can I would be screaming and be like, that guy did it, right? right. Somebody just robbed you or burglarized you. Like, yeah. that guy did We're all screaming. We're all public. If somebody rapes somebody, nobody does that. Oh, let's not talk about it. Yeah. Let's put it in the shadows. Well, it's time that we stop doing that, right? 
we, we stop taking that shame and stigma. We take that out of the equation because it's still a crime and saying this person, this perpetrator did it and it's wrong and we need to hold him accountable and we need not say it's her fault or his fault because of what they wore, or how much they drink. Nobody deserves that kind of treatment. Consent is consent, right? It's not okay. So we just need to keep screaming from the top of our lungs no no you you said something about me too movement yeah okay now do you think me too movement get abused it has been right i mean it's but the funny thing is the movement at least from my purview right working at the houston area women's center and being a part of this movement many women and advocates have been a part of this movement for 40 years now right since we started in 1977 um so what does it mean to about being heard, being believed, right? Holding a perpetrator counsel, that, uh, accountable. Those are that's the movement. Uh-huh. Believe survivors hold perpetrators accountable, and that's really. And so people go, well, what if you know she made this up? Well, that diminishes what the movement's about. Believe survivors hold perpetrators accountable. Let's talk about this real quick. So you know, there's a lot of times, and I, I don't know, I can't remember the stat right now, but people meeting, you know, at work. Is, is there's a high percentage of sexual that. harassment no mean? no i'm talking about just meeting you know as, oh, as dating yeah, yeah. meeting because you're there eight hours a right. day so. right so there's you know uh, you know relationships blooming in the yeah. office space is is huge right? right but then at the same time you know flirting at workspace is huge right and that flirting at workspace sometimes can lead into harassment harassment sexual assault and all that stuff. And I'm sure you have seen, yeah. you know, I, working I think, around that. I think with, with, in the workplace, when it comes to sexual harassment, I mean, you've got to really understand the culture of where you work. Uh-huh. You have to understand the policies and you have to know your own boundaries, right? It really comes down to boundaries and consent. So I think that, you know, look, people get married. They meet they meet people in newsrooms and office spaces all the time and, and uh, you know, organizations like mine. That's the inevitable. Well, what are the boundaries? I mean, you know, and I know we've met people who've met people at work, but they also can maintain sort of a workplace professionalism outside of the. You know, if you if, if anyone is listening and they're <laughs> like, well, what should I do, child? I mean, what, what, what would be a little <laughs> advice? Well, just know your boundaries, right? And understand. I always go back to policies, like just understand the culture of the agency or the organization, the office you work for. Understand the policies, uh-huh. and if it becomes an issue where, but if someone's harassing you, and you look at the policy, and you go to HR, then you should be heard and believed. So it's harassment, a little different. Harassment is different than volunteering, though. Right, that's consent. Yeah. Two people who are consenting to go out and all that is one thing, but one person harassing somebody else and you know making their lives. But I mean, don't you see? Don't you see cases like where 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 she or he was consenting at first, and then had a change of heart, and then it ended up leading into a, something bad. It could. I mean, have you seen those cases? You know, we don't see those <laughs> cases. We deal with sexual violence. And well, I mean, I mean, violence. that's what I'm saying. If it if it leads into sexual violence or something, does it ever do? I mean, I you know, I can't tell you that I've heard that story. Heard that? I've heard sort of I, I'm, I'm hoping that it doesn't. Yeah, let's hope it doesn't. Yeah. So what? Going back to you know when you when you change you know your career change coming yeah. up from the news anchor reporter journalist that's what you wanted to do. you know then to you know from and also, I'm sure you reported on, you know, abuse, you know, oh, people yeah. abuse and all and that. It happens stuff. in the news every week, by the way. Right. Yeah. So, so was that something part like, you know, hey, you know, I want to help people yeah. recover from abuse? I think, well, I think it's always been in my blood to, to be in a place of service. And I think that just is born of, you know, being a refugee, having received help and, and, and just being in a place where you want to um, help others. Um, for me, working at the Houston Area Women's Center was born out of working with women originally at the uh-huh. women's home, volunteering when I was working as a reporter with those women and really seeing their transformation in action. And so uh, transitioning from um, that to working at the Women's Center, working with you know survivors, um, kind of took it to a new level for me, but um, is is so important. And so I always say now that I, I have drank the feminist Kool-Aid. <laughs> I am all about ending my, because violence is so pervasive. It affects all of us. It's not a private thing. It, it, it's a public matter and it's a public health crisis because what happens between two people spills out into communities, right? Family exactly. members are affected. Yeah. First responders, police, fire effect, affected. Hospitals are affected. Mm-hmm. Systems are affected. Criminal justice system, et cetera. It is everybody's problem. And it is Absolutely. a public health crisis, according to the CDC. 
because you look at, at the rippling effect it takes on communities. And all of us, I would say by and large, know somebody who's been victimized, whether it be through sexual violence or domestic violence. And it's hard, right? It takes a toll on everybody. And it's, it's behavior, right? It's culture change. Like kids, teaching kids how to be in healthy relationships. Exactly. How much is, you know, physical abuse is one thing. Verbal and emotional abuse is, is big, is huge too. It's, par- it's part of that, part what of I was saying, all. that power and control, wheel, yeah. like the, the, the whole dynamics of, of what leads to physical violence. Everybody thinks it's the bruises that it really, things predicate those bruises, right? And, and you know, I, I want to say that there's a lot of men who get emotionally and verbally abused yeah. as well. Absolutely. It's not only women. It's not it's only not. women. You know, it's funny. We, one of our social media marketing people posted something over summer about uh, Johnny Depp on Twitter and it blew up. It was like, men get abused too. And everyone's like, amen, amen, because it's true. It's true. And they don't get as heard, heard as loudly as a woman. No. And, and in a lot our of, culture, and we a, go, And a lot oh. of men don't speak out either. Yeah, because of the shame and the stigma. Yeah. And so, I know, I know for sure men gets abused oh, yeah. physically, mentally, verbally, you know, emotionally. Going back to this, you know, I always think women are much more stronger than men. You know, we, we make babies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're if, strong. if anyone knows how hard that is, huh? uh, I, I would never know that, but, but I've seen yeah, we've had babies, babies come out. So yeah, yes. You're like, Oh my God, how does that happen? <laughs> but, uh, but you know, women are stronger than men. And I mean, you know, it, it takes courage to, to talk about, you know, the pain parts, but at the same time it takes, you know, uh, women are stronger because we, we, you know, they raise kids and first of all, they give birth to kids. <laughs> Okay, to back to your point, then they raise kids, and and I know there's a lot of women. You know, people people sometimes don't appreciate women who are raising kids, single mother, mm-hmm. stay at home moms. I mean, it's it's a full time job. I know you're a single mom. I am. And I'm a proud single mama of two beautiful girls. Of two beautiful nine. girls, and you're full time worker. Full time, full time at, at full full time at the Houston Area Women's Center. You know, I, I'm very lucky. I I get to live my purpose, right? And I'm very passionate about our mission. Um, and then I'm afforded the privilege of having two amazing kids. Now, as a single parent, you know, I have a great co-parent. You know, you cannot do this alone. I have a big heart for single mothers. Single mothers are some of the fastest growing homeless populations in our country, particularly in our city. There was just a new report out from U of H uh, that talked about, you know, the poverty rates among single mother are very high. Um, you know, the pay inequities among single mothers I mean, it takes a village. And so my village is co-parenting, an amazing career, and support from my Hawk family, my own family, and then my tribe of other mothers and single mothers who we all know, you know what? Not every day is going to be perfect, but we can't do it alone. Yeah, definitely. Now, uh, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of time that you know you said co-parenting a couple of times mm-hmm. there's a lot of times women get single and they don't want you know nothing to do with the father yeah, and what, what would you what would you i mean if someone is listening what will you your advice be i think that? if you are the parent you do the best you can uh-huh. because the studies will show you and i used to be a therapist and i saw many many children from single parent homes yeah if you have one good solid parent who gives you that love and support and attention and connection you need you're going to do okay by and large. That's what the stats say, right? So, I, you know, you, you, you find your support system. You find your, your tribe to help you navigate single parenthood. It's not easy. But I mean, keeping the parent away from, keeping the kids away from the other parent is not yeah, healthy for, yeah. for the kids at all. I, I would say navigating all of that is, is, is family to family. You just don't know the situation. Yeah. I think the kids should come first, right? We should always look at the priorities of the kids and make sure they're safe. Mm-hmm. And that they feel heard. I think a lot of kids don't feel heard. Yeah. In, in, in families. Safety first. Right, right. Sa- feeling safe, you know, having that community around you, the school community, your family community, just having support around you. So, how does the work at Hawk impact raising these two beautiful girls? Keeps me up at night. <laughs> right? It's like, what keeps you up at night? What kind of a community do I want for my kids? Right? What kind of behavior do I think is okay, right? So I, I, I just, it gives me more resolve, and I think it gives a lot of us um, at the Houston Area Women's Center more resolve to just 
do better, right? To, to keep advocating, to keep fighting for what's right, to talk about healthy relationships, to say that's not okay, to talk about consent. Um, you know, I, I, I feel so lucky that I can be a voice in our movement mm-hmm. about all of these issues and, and to do it with conviction and with resolve and with heart and to know that, that you know, my girls are going to be okay if they have a voice, if they know it's, it's not okay to, to have, it's okay to have consent. Um, it's okay to like choose happiness. I'm looking at you. <laughs> so it's okay. Right. Yeah. So, um, to give them the confidence and the empowerment they need. Cause I think that sometimes in our culture, you know, with these sort of gender issues, women don't have a voice, right? They're like, Oh, well, yeah. I shouldn't say something. I should be a pleaser. No, it's okay to, to have a voice and say, this is not okay. And that's not okay. Me, I just, I just, I'm, I'm very close to my children and I, want them to express and tell me how they feel. That they have a voice. I feel like we can go on for this for hours, right? Well, because I, like, for me, because, you know, I used to be a reporter, I would want to ask you all these questions yeah. about your life, Sam. So, I mean, definitely, I mean, we can definitely go on for, but you said choose happiness right now. Uh-huh. You saw that side. What, what is your definition of, or let me just say, what is your opinion of choosing happiness and why happiness is so important? And it may be at workplace, may it be in relationship, may it be, uh, you know, waking up in the morning and having a purpose. What do you think about that? So for me, I choose gratitude every day to know that I am grateful for my health, my children, and and connection. Those are kind of my things, right? And if I live in gratitude, I'm pretty, it, my day goes pretty good. So why is gratitude so important? Um, because I know it could be worse, right? That, 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 what we have in this sort of finite moment of living in life is so short, right? And I've seen all the tragedies and the deaths. And I, it, that doesn't leave me. All those years of being a street reporter and seeing crime and deaths and homicides and bodies and people being put out like garbage, right? It never left me to realize that, you know what? Tomorrow is not promised and um, that love is... Okay, now I'm getting really kind of optimistic but love is everything love and connection are everything in life and i i choose to be in a place of gratitude and love and that's what brings me happiness it's not all the big things and the validation and the success it's really in those moments with my children looking at the sun driving here being really present with whatever i'm being present with yeah i had a i did a video uh i think was a couple of days ago or last last week sometime about gratitude it was on and i posted on instagram and youtube and, you know, I mean, we are so grateful. I mean, you know, we are walking. I mean, if you want, really want to see gratitude, walk the emergency room, you know, walk yeah. the cancer center. I mean, you know, people are, we should be gratitude. Every morning we should be grateful, you know. I started a gratitude. To any God you believe in, but you yeah. should be you should be grateful. Grateful for just the breath of life. Exactly. Right? Just those little things. So I, I keep a gratitude journal. It's very simple. It's like three things you're grateful for. What's your intention of the day? And then at the end of the night, you know, three things that happened today that were that were good, and it's not hard to find. Not so, in my world. What is your definition of making shit happen? <laughs> <laughs> making shit happen. Oh gosh, um, it's an intention, right? Yeah. Intention. Start with that intention. I choose to do this, and it's choices, and then you just go and do it without letting yourself get in the way. Don't overthink it. Just go. I've always been a doer and it, I haven't always succeeded, right? But I'm going to do it unabashedly because I chose that intention. I made that intention and then I effectuated it. So, you know, when you when you quit your job, was that something, <laughs> you know, like, okay, I'm going to do this? Yeah, absolutely. That was kind of a make shit happen moment, which is kind of crazy, right? Top of your career, life is good, home, mortgage, kids, all, not kids, uh, dog, I didn't have a kid. At that time you were, you were single. Yeah, I was totally... I was like, you know what shit I wanted to make happen? The experiences of this finite world. I wanted to go see the world. I wanted to travel. And I knew that at some point I wanted to have kids and all those things. I knew that, right? Yeah. I, knew, I was like, one day I want to have kids. But if I if I do that, I better go travel as much as I can before I have kids. Yeah. That's exactly what I did. And it all seemed to work out. But some of that, I believe, is is the attitude I had and then and then living in that in that place of gratitude. What kind of message will you have for somebody who, you know, wants to do something but is is afraid, right? That okay, well, 
I don't know if I do this. How my parents are gonna think? Especially us mm-hmm. coming out from an, you know, from from immigrant family. We're so concerned about our parents because our parents give so much for us, right? And we we don't want to. And the pressure is immense, right? <laughs> we we don't want to disappoint them, but we want to do something. Yeah. You know, what would you what would you tell okay, somebody so like this that? Is, this is because because you have broken spo- social barriers. You're this you know is, this is simple but yet profound. I think you have to choose love over fear. You have to choose love over fear. And that can take on a lot of iterations. But what I mean by that is choose the good over the 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 self-limiting thoughts and that 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 tape in your head that says you're not enough. No, you are enough. Mm-hmm. You know, just choose enough. Choose abundance, choose love, choose good, choose kindness. Uh I I know some I know this uh I know this guy who had, you know, grew up in an Asian family. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, his, of course, his parents wanted him to be doctors. I mean, you know, when we, yeah. I mean, that's what our yeah. parents or wanted. Or a failure. Right? <laughs> or a failure. <laughs> we right? like to laugh. So he grew up as, a, you know, he went to school, became a doctor, then went and became a surgeon, hated it, uh, and didn't want to do it. Uh, and, you know, and then, but he was doing it because he did not want to let down his parents. I know off with that right yeah it's, it's that that evolution is that of, pressure yeah it's the evolution of being a a human right like you, you your parents are your world and then you want to please them and then at some point you, you grow up. what happened to him what happened to him yeah he's a little surgeon uh no no he ended up he he finally he finally uh you know gave up and he's in real estate now see he's doing and he it. loves doing it i have a cousin she went to dental school because her parents are well, yeah. Uncle Aunt wanted her to be a dentist, and she hated it. And she went back to law school, and now she's a very successful you know, trademark attorney, uh, 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 and she loves it. This is what she wanted to do, but, but she followed her parents. She followed her parents. So, I mean, a lot of us fall in that trap. What would you I say know. to something like that? I would. Okay, so my my cousin came to me years ago, and 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 one of our my my first cousin, his daughter was going to Harvard. And she wanted to go work in public radio. He called me. He's like, can you convince her not to work in public radio? I'm like, thanks a lot. Um, and now she's working at a think tank, you know, for healthcare. I mean, uh-huh. she's really doing a, you know, she's a career of service. Um, look, I, I think you have to nurture and encourage your children and allow them to live their path. I, yeah. I really do. And you have to feel connected because telling them what to do is not going to bring that connection closer. Yeah. I'm gonna encourage my children to do what they feel best. They feel best, and for par- and parents, sometimes have the hard time doing that. Of course, I, they do, especially I, from our culture. Yeah, right? I strongly believe you know uh, education is important. I told my oh. kids the other day. I said, "Listen, you got to go to college. Now, I, I don't care what you do. Yeah. Okay, I, I really don't care." I said, and I told my care. I mean, this was this was it was a hard conversation. That How old came, are they? So they're 19, right? Oh. I have two twins, and they didn't want to go to college. And I'm like, look. You both got to go to college. Whatever you do, you got to go to college. I said, I don't care if you take get A's. I don't care if you get B's. I don't care if you get C's. That's the odds. The odds okay. in this country is a college education is yeah. going to. Yeah, and that's exactly what I told him. I said, I want you to go to school. I want you to go to college. I want you to have an opportunity because I want to level. I, Me as a parent want to level the playing field for you. I don't want you to go somewhere where you're not able to talk or communicate with somebody and someone else has an has an advantage over you because they went to school and they. That's uh, the culture of this country. That's it. Or you know the culture of. Uh, so what do you think about education? I, well, I'm a tiger mom. Yeah. I make my kids do all their homework. They uh-huh. have a whole weeks of homework. They're only second, third grade, but I make them do all the homework Mondays and Tuesdays, so that the rest of the week they can kind of relax with their dad. So no, I am a tiger. Education is very important to me. Yeah. And I think the lessons you learn in going to school and you know being sort of. Uh, self-sufficient right when you go to college you have to study by yourself. Yeah. You eat drink wake up all those things you learn in college you you basically uh set yourself up for being an adult through yeah. college and college is I mean, education is plus education is fun i mean right. excited about learning and, and that's what and so i told my kids this i'm yeah, like listen right. i'm like i'm like listen i don't want you, okay if you take a chemistry class will you ever use it no no will you take a biology class will you ever use it no i i, I totally agree with it i said but you must go to college because at the same time it brought it it brings discipline in your life it broadens 
you know, the the vision. I mean, you know, where you, I mean, and then you got to live life. I'm like, go, go out, go to spring break, go do stuff. That's I right, mean, right. you know, Quit I'm your like, job when you're I mean, 35 years old. you know, because, because when you get out of school at yeah. 22 or 23, you still have the rest of the life to I do, agree. to work. And you have the rest of the life to do all this, I agree. you know, adult stuff right now. You should go to college and, you know. Do you know how many kids would die to go to college? Exactly. Yeah. And our kids are like, hmm. no, no, no. You can have a gap year, but still finish college. Yeah, well, no, I, I'm, a great, I'm, I'm with you, Sam. Yeah. And education in this country is everything. It is a reason why, you know, I think people like me and you are able to succeed. Even if we're doing careers that don't have anything to do with chemistry and yeah. all that. It level set us. Right? Yeah. And, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't get to finish school. And and I still have that regret in my life that I didn't. Never right? too late. <laughs> Never too late. Everybody says that to me. Everybody tells me the same thing. Never too late. But, you know, of course, when you, you know, when you have kids, you want them to do what you didn't do. I don't want to live through them, but I want to get them to see the the opportunity that I didn't have. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, stuff that I had to do to make shit happen. Make shit happen. You know, but but I want to make sure that they get it. And, and I, and I, and, and I, I urge parents, you know, to be in their, you know, in their kids' life. And if they can afford it, because nowadays, I mean, there's so much opportunities. I mean, you know, you can get Pell Grants, you can get financial aid, scholarships, oh all kind of stuff. You know, the world has changed, you know. And, uh, Plus, it's learning. I mean, colleges, that's what I, I get excited about learning. Yeah. And community colleges like Lone Star, I mean, yeah. I mean, they are, I mean, they are badass. I mean, they're exactly. good. You know, I mean, ACC. St. Jack. I mean, they're, they're really good. You don't have to go to a four-year college to, to be successful. Just go to the community college. I mean, you know, and you'll... It's character building. It's character building. I mean, it builds character in, in the kid's life and, you know, able to... How are you going to... If you want to be in business, how you how are you able to read a lease and comprehend that? Yeah. If I mean, you, well, I'm big grammar police and writing. But you understand what I, I'm trying to say. I get that. So that's what I do at my household. I make the kids do all their homework the first two days. So do the hard part, then have the fun. It's that delayed gratification that they don't understand anymore. Like, do the hard part, have the fun. Chow, we're getting to that part of the show where we have to end this. So, they, you know, every time I end the show, uh, you know, I if if the world was to end and you have nothing left, mm -hmm. right, and you want to leave a message for your kids and future generation and for the world, and this is the only thing you can, you know, you can write it down or whatever. Mm -hmm. Three things you'll leave for your kids, mm -hmm. for your future generation and the world. Mm -hmm. wow. you know? And it Three can be, things. it can be anything. It can be how to live life, mm -hmm. what they should do. Yeah. What, what would you, what would you say? Three um, things. I would say be kind. Be kind. Okay. Um, love big. Care, care, care to expand on be kind? Um, choose kindness. Um, Always be in a place of thinking of the good, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it be for yourself or for others. Although love starts with yourself, right? Um, slow down. I think sometimes in our life we, we, we are going at, and I say that to my, I would say that to my younger self. Um, wear sunscreen. <laughs> <laughs> so number three is wear, wear sunscreen. sunscreen. <laughs> I think being kind and slowing down is good. Yeah, wear sunscreen. You know, I, I got to tell you this funny <laughs> joke about wearing sunscreen. <laughs> I have a friend named Danny Trong, right? And and uh, this is about twenty years ago, and I still I still <laughs> remind him about this. So I go to I go to Cancun. This is the first time me and my wife go to Cancun. Yeah. And I see Danny over there. Oh. I wow. said, Danny, wow, what a small world. I mean, I saw you in Cancun. That's crazy. And I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, nothing. I'm like, hey, you know, I heard the sun over here is not like the same sun in Houston. Make sure you wear sunscreen. Yeah. Like, and he said, I don't need a fucking sunscreen. I said, okay. The next day I see daddy and his girlfriend like a lobster. Redder than a <laughs> and lobster. And they are built and they're hurting and the whole thing. Matter of fact, so. So just about a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> uh, no, about a couple of months ago, Danny is in Cancun again, and he's posting all this thing. And I'm like, I hope you were wearing a sunscreen. And no. he and he's like, he's like, you will never let me forget that. So wear, wear sunscreen. sunscreen. I'm telling you, I mean, I don't care if you're brown, black, yellow. It is, it is a beast. The sun, oh, yeah. you will not win against you in the sun. Yeah, I, I, I turned black in in sunscreen. Oh, I yeah. I mean, I say that jokingly. What I mean is we got to take care of ourselves. Take care of ourselves. So yeah. be kind. 
slow down, slow down, and wear sunscreen. Basically, take care yeah. of ourselves, take care of our skin, take care of our health, yeah. take care. Yeah, and then slow down. It's like just be in the moment, right? People get so caught up in the shoulda, woulda, couldas, and our obsessive worrying, and we all do it, right? We're all obsessed with our thoughts. But sometimes, if you just stop and smell the roses and be grateful for just having the breath of life, or you know, being here with you and connecting. I mean, those are that's freaking awesome. Yeah. And I've learned to do that more, slowing down. Well, <laughs> some might argue I don't, but I've learned to be uh, to 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 be more present in those moments and having that 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 moment of appreciation. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Chow. This was Damn. this was a great one. I really loved it. Thank oh, you for being too. over here. Thank you so much. I, I just love what you're doing and and just just spreading this sort of optimism and positivity in the world through your podcast and, and and i appreciate you coming over here and sharing a lot of people they don't understand i mean you know the, the danger that is around us in our in our own communities in our own backyard mm -hmm. so so i appreciate you coming over here shedding the light on that and you know sometimes we just think about oh well that doesn't ho happen over here it happens in third world countries or latin america or you know in asia and other stuff we, we right just don't realize that office. right outside my office yeah. well you know I, I, I'm like right down the street from Bissonette, so I yeah. know exactly where it happens. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank I appreciate you so much. it.